we're back. Yeah, we're back. What's up, Corey? Hey, what's up, dude? What's up, people? Hi, peoples. It's been a minute. Yeah. A yeah. two-week minute. What's new? I was sick for a week and a half. Ooh, talk about your laryngitis thing. Yeah. Can you? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Every time I hate myself for doing a bad, or what I consider to be like a bad show, like a performance, singing. singing. Mm-hmm. When it gets real, like if I haven't done it in a long time and then I do it and and then I hate myself for having done it or I just wasn't happy with the performance, mm-hmm. there's been at least four times in my life where that I've gotten laryngitis within a few days of the event. And it's super, I mean, so weird. The psychosomatic connection, like yeah. I don't know, I don't know what goes on. Maybe I do. You do? <laughs> I know all of it. <laughs> Tell no, me. but I, I would say, like we were talking about earlier, how uh, just being just stress can really. That's right. Yeah. It's, it seems like I always get sick when I either don't get enough sleep or I just have too much stress. And then next thing I know, like, oh no, my throat. Oh no, my nose. Like, what hat, you know? Yeah, stress lowers your immune system, there right? You go. Yeah. Maybe that has something to do with the your thing. And stress, too, is like a, uh, it's like a wildfire because then whatever it is that started the stress. It turns you into like a like a a person who looks around and finds negativity and stress mm. and more in other things. It sort mm-hmm. of like bleeds, like it just spreads like wildfire. Like mm-hmm. you're stressed about one thing and you know, that thing sucks too, and it's like, ah, and everything ah, and then it feels like the end of the world, and then your body goes boom, and you have like right. stress re- stress hormones are probably released as you're going through that, and your immune system takes a dive. That sounds uh, technical. Stress hormones. Sounds like a word that a doctor would it's use. Legit, right? Yeah, yeah, it's good. No, that's got to have something to do with it, though. <clears throat> sure, it does. I just wonder if I have this like dormant virus that's like always ready to <laughs> to like take over if yeah. my immune system goes down, and then I have like a mental. It's just weird that the issue is I hate what happened in my throat, and then that's exactly where the sickness mm-hmm. starts. Wow. I don't know. It's like if you're a soccer player, you're like dang this foot for like not making the goal and then all of a sudden you get a, a broken ankle. Mm-hmm. It's weird. You're putting all your intention on that one space or that one piece of your body or something. Who knows? That mind-body connection is strange because um, just listen to Rogan's podcast and he had a doctor on whose name I can't remember, but uh, he's talking about the placebo effect mm-hmm. and then the opposite of that is the nocebo effect. Which is which is the opposite. It's when um, you believe, like the placebo effect, is just belief making a difference. So you mm-hmm. can take, you know, if you think it's a a pill that's going to help you, and it's just a sugar pill, it mm-hmm. doesn't do anything. The belief that it'll help you is what. So doubt would be the opposite <clears throat> effect. Doubt or um, some sort of real negative thing. Mm-hmm. Like they started to relate the nocebo effect to putting curses on people. Oh, like if yeah, you yeah. Be- make somebody believe that you've like cursed them, yeah, that they'll cursed. like be like it's going to happen, and then they'll manifest it in their Ooh, life, or their so or cool. their biology will even manifest it somehow. We should try that. I'm going to try cursing you later. See yeah, what, see what happens. You, runny, you, you will get a runny nose. I'm scared right now. It worked. Yeah, but yeah. I'm it, sure. I'm sure that had a lot to do. You know, when they used to believe in hexes and stuff and witch trials and all that stuff that you know. Which, which is funny because we they didn't you would say oh they just called it that or they labeled it possession when they they just didn't know any better but like we still don't really know we're still talking about this weird connection between your mind and your body and how you affect 
the other hand, like we don't really exactly know why, <laughs> other than it's all tied together. Yeah, nervous system. And do, and this may sound slightly disconnected, but my my favorite analogy that I've I've always like thought of is things could be <clears throat> like I picture myself out at the cabin, which is like this desolate. You know, there's not a lot of people around. It's really dark at night, and it can feel super serene. Like I've always, mm-hmm. um, me and Natalie talk about it. It's like it's the best place to be happy, and it's the worst place to be depressed. Oh yeah, yeah. Because you're in nature and it's awesome, or you're in nature and it's and it's going to eat uh, you. It's you're isolated. But I always think about um, the like the forensic files effect. You can, be, you can be having a fine night, and if you're just like, oh, I need to go get something in the backyard, and it's and it's dark outside, you just go out and do it. Mm-hmm. But if you watch an episode of Forensic Files, you walk out in your backyard, and you're like, there's a killer. Stuff. There's a killer <laughs> hiding out here. Like, I need to bring, bring a flashlight, maybe a knife. Like, mm-hmm. Or you watch Forensic Files, turn the TV off, and you're like, your own house is scary now. Like, yeah. this almost feels like there's this... It's like a horror movie. You yeah. Know? I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a huge avid horror movie fan but every October when it becomes Halloween season I always start okay time to start watching horror movies because then you like it gets you in this creepy that's what it does though it gets you in this thing and then no matter what you could be a 40 year old man and you turn off the TV after the horror movie's over at midnight and it's dark in your house and then like I have one of those fluorescent lights in my little mm-hmm. toilet room okay and it it's it's burning out so they when you turn it on it starts up and flickers and then it's like this really gross fluorescent light you know and it's just I always think of it just reminds me of a horror movie because they use that trick all the time mm-hmm. like the lights and then they come on and turns off turns like on a yeah I'm always yeah as soon as it turns on I'm like is there gonna be something in front of me it's in the back of my head like yep. you just no matter how old you get no matter whatever you're taking in it's kind of just kind of lingers a little bit mm-hmm. even if it's ridiculous like you think there's a ghost or something and it's strange so what happens obviously you get Maybe you have like an adrenaline rush, your cortisol level levels maybe rise, and then that has a physical effect on your body, mm-hmm. and then it makes you act different. Imagine if that's the state you were in. Like, I don't know, even just a, the reality version, which is like being a police officer. Mm. Every day you're sort of, okay, yep. is this the is this the traffic stop where <clears throat> this guy could have a knife? The guy has a knife, or he's wanted, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> has a yeah. warrant out, or something. Yep. And you're just you're on red alert all the time. Mm-hmm. It affects the way you act, and then that, again, lowers your immune response. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're kind of all over the place, aren't we? Yeah, I don't know. I'm scared now. <laughs> we were going to talk about something you saw on the on your drive uh, back down south. Was oh, yeah. it late at night? It was, it, was it, was a, it was a daytime. Daytime? Yeah. It, <laughs> you called it the uh, artistic rubberneck. <laughs> yeah. After I, I sent you like a... I made a voice note of this. I was having like a, oh, we should talk about this on the podcast moment. So I was sitting, it was Sunday. Yeah, it was like evening, I guess. Sunday at like six o'clock, driving down the 15 south towards towards Julian. And there was ton. it was like complete traffic, five miles an hour, like stop and go. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I'm like, it must be an accident. There's usually no traffic. And so just sitting there musing on that and then, you know, five miles of bumper to bumper. And then you find, and all there is is like a minor mm-hmm. uh, fender bender on the side of the road with a cop. And then everybody speeds up. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is so stupid. Like everybody, I started thinking about, well, <laughs> what I noticed is I went up there and I'm like, it's just looky-loo traffic. Like, did you look? 
And then I stopped and looked. Yeah. So then I'm like, but I actually need to know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> I'm going to slow me. down and look. Because I'm thinking about it. Yeah. As if I'm <laughs> going to stop and help. No. Um, and then I realized everybody probably feels that way. Like if you were to have a board yeah. meeting, everybody who went on the freeway that day, we had a pre, like preliminary board meeting. Okay. Right. If we see a fender bender on the freeway, we're all going to agree to continue going 70 and there'll be no traffic. Mm-hmm. Or would you rather know what happened? I think everybody would be like, eh, I'd rather just... Right, not slow down and spend a half an hour. Going but it's different when everybody else slows down in front of you, and then they're doing it, and you're like, "Well, no, I want to know because they know. I can't not know if they know." Yeah, <laughs> and you just kind of ah. But it's just it's morbid curiosity. It's just yeah, you're looking for blood, <laughs> yeah. looking for a sheet on the ground somewhere. Somebody, yeah. So, I started thinking about that relative to, it's because it's a herd mentality. We're all. Mm-hmm. We're all kind of going against the ethic that we believe would be best for everybody mm-hmm. by right. looking, by kind of just, I don't know, we'd all rather have no traffic and agree not to look. Yeah. Which I feel like every time there's an accident like that, they should just put a curtain up and then it totally. would stop traffic. Yeah, totally. um, so uh, for some reason, my mind went to, this is almost what happens in culture when there's a, if you're a singer, songwriter, artist, or producer, or whatever, some some somebody in that world, whatever's popular at the time is like mm. becomes sort of the it's the best way to make money. It's the most. It's where success is. Is like mm-hmm. like right now, pop music is, or for the past few years, I guess, hip hop has really kind of gotten into every area of pop. Mm-hmm. If you knocked it over, so highly, that'd be so sad. <laughs> so, you know, big pop artists that maybe, like during the Katy Perry Teenage Dream days, which is like when, it was like the biggest record, one of the biggest records ever had really? more, I think more number, or equal amount of number one singles as like the best, the biggest Beatles record or something. Whoa. The success of that record was off the charts. <clears throat> and that was a very much... A pop record in the, in the purest sense. Mm-hmm. It was a very distinct sound that Dr. Luke and Max Martin had come up with, but it wasn't very hip hop influenced. Mm-hmm. Maybe in a light way with the, with the programming, but not really. Mm-hmm. But I think since that era, which when was that? Two thousand eight, nine, ten, when she was huge. I guess something like that when that record was around. Not that long ago. But since then, hip hop has sort of become yeah. the thing. Like that's the cool sound that you put in a yeah, pop song is 808s and, and all that yeah and then you have a rapper come on the ariana grande song or yeah. whatever it is <clears throat> so i almost feel like whatever those whatever that cultural thing is that's grabbing all of our attention whether we like it or not is sort of like the car accident on the side of the road is mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. is on their own path let's say um doing what they artistically want to do and but then there's this trend that comes out and that's the car accident everybody looks and goes like oh got to be aware that you know hip hop programming is the thing that's big right now mm-hmm. and we all slow down and mm-hmm. look over there and go Ugh. and so then you get everybody in the industry is sort of looking the same direction and slowing down and going how do i copy that mm-hmm. and what how much of that should i bring in and is that going to be the pathway to me having success and mm-hmm. i need to integrate that into my own um toolbox or whatever right. and meanwhile the the flow of traffic of of artists following their their instinctual drive right, right. Has, going home has or driving from, wherever they're driving driving wherever they're, they're driving where they want to yeah. be 
Yeah. It's now slowed from 70 to five miles an hour. Right. And the progression of unique artists doing unique things or unique producers doing unique things has kind of slowed and we've all, we're all looking in that same direction. Mm. And it could be a negative or a positive, but um, I don't even know what I mean by that. That's cool because when you first brought that to my attention, I... I don't know if that's this is exactly what you meant at the time, but I all, I kind of saw it a different way. I, I thought more along the lines of um, if you take tr uh, like trends or whatever out of it, <clears throat> we're just talking about the artist itself in his car, you know, distractions outside of his artistry, you know, out like it's not necessarily a distraction about what's popular or what's trendy, but you have to have if you're gonna be creative it's you have to say there has to be a focus right there has to be some sort of like strong focus so that you can finish your thing mm -hmm. or stay on that path of whatever that creative endeavor is whether you're doing a film or whatever i don't know writing something yeah otherwise you'll never finish it or you get distracted and then you it screws up your process you're saying any distraction i was thinking more like life rubber just a lot yeah just a something that anything that can distract you of course you know in the older you get the more the more busy and more responsibilities and stuff. It's, it, there's distractions everywhere from from your creative path. It's like but survival. Stuff that's intentional and stuff that you know you don't. You what would be an example for you personally that that would fall into that? You know, for me, the first thing I think of is this is going to sound weird, but and it's also music related, but it's not on the path. Is gear like just being Ooh. a guitar player and then like trying to get into recording and buying a new mic and 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 with guitar players, we're obsessed with like sounds and stomp boxes and amps and and a lot of us i'm not gonna say people because i do it too all the time we get like all excited about the gear part and then that's all we think about and then we get the blinders on and it's like oh this is so exciting this new thing and then i just got this new toy and it's kind of like a toy and and it's oh this is to make the music but at some point you forget that and you're like just obsessed with the gear and that's like a huge distraction for me sometimes because then i'll because then the the end of that little road is that you have that piece of gear or whatever it is, or you're you're you understand that piece of gear now, and then you go, cool. Where's the next piece of gear? You know, because if you're not going to use it, like you're like yeah. you're originally intending, that's just a distraction. So right? here's here's a little. Uh, what do you think about this as the as to why that happens and maybe why it's uh, um. Hate to get into a gendery discussion here, but it's one of the basic psychological principles that's that's accepted as being fairly true is that um women are more interested in people and guys are more interested in things mm -hmm. and you can see that in little kids like yeah um little girls want baby dolls mm -hmm. and little boys want trains and stuff right. they want th they like things gadgets trucks and stuff trucks yeah. and trains and gadgets and yep. girls are more relational and mm -hmm. <clears throat> my little daughter is like that she was like that from day one. As soon as she started playing with, yeah, it's like, and she, it's her family. She calls it. She says, "I." They are calling for me. They were, they wanted their mama. Like we were just doing it's that. Fascinating. Day. She puts it's all just, of her dolls in the bed together and lays them all out. No one ever taught her that. She just lays them all out. For some reason, she has to have them naked. Every little doll, she's help, daddy, get get this dress off. They all have to be <laughs> naked for some reason, and then they all lay down face first on the pillow, and she she'll cover them with the face blanket. first. A lot of times, yeah. Sometimes she like kind of mean. Up. She smothers them. <laughs> She, I'm the mama. No, what, is she, what is she acting out here? I don't know, but but it's always a motherly thing, you know. It's so fascinating, just naturally. So okay, so you take that, and then also put it with maybe 
I would say in general, I'm just going to make the the male generalization is that right. most men have some sort of issue with being vulnerable. We're not right. The majority of dudes that I know are not walking around talking about their the feelings, feelings all yeah. the time. But so as artists, me. that's we know that our our best work is when we emote into what we're doing. Right. But we have this first of all slight desire, like eh, I'll choose not vulnerable, yeah. and and then focus on things, which is gear. Right. So you have this like thing focus, which is the gear. Like I love the gadget. I love what I can do with it. Yeah. And then you're you're like, but I don't I don't know if I'm ready to just like open my heart today. I think I'll focus on getting the good sound. Yeah, it's a distraction. For later when I when I'm vulnerable later. Right. But it's a good. It's, it, that, that's an example. But it's a it, it's a good distract. I think it's a good distraction because I don't know. Well, it's, it's a tool. It's like it, you have to learn how to use your tools if you're gonna. Make, I guess build a house. you have to have a solid philosophy though. I would think. Because there's a, I mean, I, you could learn everything there is to know about every piece of gear in here mm-hmm. and avoid the purpose of learning it very easily right. and get focused. I mean, I find myself doing it sometimes with, um, I, have to, I have to remember, I think I've talked about this before on here, but I have such an obsession with drum sounds and especially yeah. snare sounds. Mm-hmm. And I have this like, this is the ideal snare. And every mix I do, like if I can apply, if I can bring that into it, then I'll yeah. obsess over the snare. Yeah. And there are reasons. Like it's the thing that's hitting the most during a whole song. Right. So it that's has a good to sound point, good. Yeah. But I have to remind myself, like, don't just go after that awesome crack and snare sound if it's not right for the actual song. Yeah. I have to remember, like, what's the right sound for the song? It's back to that zoom in, zoom out thing. It's the same yeah. thing with gear. Like you, it's good, but make sure you're still zoomed out because you just start focusing on, you know. For, I just, for me, it's just guitars and stuff. Like I just have them on the walls and like it's oh, a I just weird... want to touch them and like play with them. And it's not always a musical thing. It's just like oh, I just love the way it's built and like it's so sexy and this line and the you know the it's way. It's so that funny this works. you started using that terminology. Like I just want to touch them because I was like, yeah, we fetishize these things, right? But <laughs> not in the true meaning of the word fetish, but it is, it does sure. become Same thing. an end unto itself. It's like, it's not about the art or the right. expression of what it, how it's serving the song. It becomes just sort of a, a cool tweaker thing, almost mm-hmm. like chops. Chops are the same way. Technique, yeah. Like learning a bunch of technique to the point where totally. like, you're never going to use it, this riff in a song or this fill in a song, mm-hmm. or it's super unlikely, yet that's what you want to learn because it's impressive and it, Right. It's more like turning art into a sport as opposed to it right. serving a an expressionistic. I don't know. Yeah, I catch myself all the time. I just <clears throat> try, I just try to remind myself all you know. You, don't forget why this is interesting to you in the first place. Remember, I confronted you on this. We've talked about it a bunch. We've talked about artists that we've worked with too, and and you know they get a little too obsessed with the gear, and it's like, come on, let's come back <laughs> to this <laughs> meat and potatoes over here, or too obsessed even with the. Um, this has happened a few times with artists, young artists I've worked with, where the focus becomes the the final production aesthetic. Mm. Like we'll start writing the song, and there won't even really be a focus in terms of lyrically and why we're writing it, where it's coming from. It'll start to be like, oh yeah, and then it could sound like this, and it could have this cool thing where it's like a big drop, and it's like a boom, and then like Bleh. yeah, yeah, and you're like slow down. Yeah, you're do- not there yet. <laughs> when did we're, not, you- we're not ready to dress it up yet. We don't even have a thing. There's no right. person to dress. Right. And that's where all this stuff comes in, really. The the gears and the and the technique stuff. It's like a lot of that is just dressing up something. Something that's when did you confront me on this? 
Oh, well, was I not paying attention? Did I tune you out? <laughs> Maybe. Oh, that day. Yeah, I tuned you out. No, you'll remember. It was like three months ago, though. You were you were consistently sending me cool, like, instrumental riffs and stuff. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I'm like, why aren't you writing song ideas? Yeah. And I'm like, you're, such, you're a great songwriter and a great singer. And we've been working together the last, whatever, six months. And I'm like, know. you haven't really sent any song. Or there, not any. There was, was I would say... mostly like instrumental pieces. Or yeah, whatever, yeah. Maybe 15, 20% of what you'd send would be like a song and the rest would be kind of musical beds. Yeah. And it was... More, I think you mentioned that it was like therapeutic for you to just Yeah, I think at the musical. time, that's all I could spit out. And there was also a part... Like there was a time where... I think it was just a specific artist we were working with and we needed songs and I just had some like That's true. some bass drums guitar you know key ideas or whatever and just and then that actually spawned into something but that was a specific project so it made That's sense That's true. Well. But yeah, once you I remember you said that I think it was one of those voice memo notes too you sent me and you're like I'm just curious how come <laughs> you're a good songwriter how can you write songs and I was like oh yeah you're right you know was it a desire to, to just use music as a um a happy release as opposed to like a place to get vulnerable and find out what you feel and write a song yeah for sure because i just i know i go through phases where that's yeah it was just a thing difficult. it was just a phase at the time i was just busy and i i don't know i i, I kind of remember at the time i wasn't really i just didn't have it in me to sit down and write you know it's a completely a different process right yeah yeah because and it you're, it is kind of more about that gear side that that tactile, just touching things and and playing with with um, stuff, and then make you know having something come out of it. No, it's more about that. Is it at that point? Is it music? Not really for the sake of it being a communicate a mu- communication medium as much Maybe. as a distract well, distraction like a, release, fun technical. Yeah, distraction is a weird word because we we've, we've been using it in a different way, but. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, an escape. It's more of like an escape. To me, you know, I've done many things to, you know, escapism in my life. Mm-hmm. But putting my head down and putting the headphones on or whatever and just immersing myself in a, some sort of project, that's always been the most positive escape that I, I've ever... I don't know, escape's not kind of a weird word because it sounds negative. Like you're trying to run away from something, but it, you know... Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that, I think. <clears throat> More like a release, I guess. or a... Maybe, yeah. But music is an escape for a lot of p- people. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a way to just like flip a switch and your head just kind of goes somewhere else. And, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's just a perspective switch, which is what people need all the time. You need to be able to, like we talk about, zoom in and zoom out of things. I, I kind of see it like that. You know? It's also the same way as just picking up a guitar as a guitar player just take it off the wall and just start playing it. It's like, ah, instantly. There's some sort of a Mm. push everything out and this is just me and this instrument and something might come out of it, something might not, but it just feels good to do it because it's it's your own thing, you know? Maybe that's part of playing any instrument is it's just you and that thing and it's so pure. Everything else gets pushed away. It makes the... Life and the world very simple while you're doing it. Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, you can you can control it. You can understand it, kind of. Yeah, it's still magical. My my head is not a fun place to be if I don't have <laughs> if I don't have if I'm not consistently creating things and feeling that like yeah. here's a thing that was inside that came out and 
ooh, it's I'm working on it, making it, or I I finished it, and that was like a thumbs up, and on to the next one, and right, wake or going to sleep and waking up the next day and going like, oh, I want to go in and listen yeah, yeah. to the progress on that. Like, what's yeah. it sound like? Does it sound as good as I thought it did? Yeah, it's just like your woodwork and all these things that you're. Every time I see you, you're like, oh, check out this bag I just made. Or, you know, yeah, that's when I'm, I'm, one level of unhealthy. Usually, I'll start to focus on. I don't know. It's therapeutic, but right. Sometimes while I'm even doing it, I'm like, I should be making music right now, but I'm doing this, and it's just sort of a second-rate version. That's Because I have a belief about the value of creating music right, the importance versus of- the value of creating one thing. Mm-hmm. Here's one leather bag I made. <laughs> There's one. If I write a song, it can be infinitely copied and shared yeah. on the web. It's like, it's pretty big difference in the in the value of it but then again i like the the quaint special quality of there's one of these and i just took the time to well, yeah yeah it's focus special. on the craftsmanship of it and the the quality that there is only one because mm-hmm. it can feel infinitely weird to to make something that is just sort of instantly especially in this day and age a song the value of a song has sort of been vaporized in some sense. Mm. Like, oh, it's just a song. It's a free thing that you can share. Yeah, it's a file. I should get it for free is what people kind of yeah. feel these yeah. days. It's invisible. It's not a tangible thing. It should be free. Yeah. Like, hmm. That's interesting. That I've never heard you say that uh, you're woodworking and you're, and you're building and you're making stuff. It, it, I never heard you put it that way. Like, you feel like it's a little bit of a, like a... It like sometimes plays that role. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Other times it's if I'm in like a healthy spot and I'm making music and then yeah, go okay. out to Julian for a few days and get in the workshop and, you know, make a knife out of a file or a bag or some mm-hmm. weird whatever it is I'm doing, mm-hmm. then it feels like it's in its proper it shouldn't be it's just not I don't know. <laughs> I know this I know the feeling too. Um so but I, a, it's interesting because to me I mean it makes sense the way you uh, conceptualize that but it to me it's all about the process of doing it whether it's making writing a song or recording something or working with someone else's song it's it's like that it's just that process and i'm sure it's the same thing when you're making something that's the thing it's, it's to like, me it's about the process so cool it should it. be process. equally sorry i'm talking over you. no that's i just trying to set you up it should be equally 50 percent about the process and the result is sort of my Ooh. belief okay. because here's how i think of it i have two weeks to live and I have to create um, two things a week. So four more things, and then I'm done forever. Do I create four, do I make four leather bags or four <laughs> songs? Which one's going to be more valuable right. in in the long term? Mm-hmm. Not four leather bags or four knives. Knives? I like how you said knives. <laughs> four knives. Um, four octopi. Octo- octopus? Deers. Octopuses. Octopuses. <laughs> but that to me is like when you break it down like that, mm-hmm. you can see the value difference right. really clearly. Mm-hmm. Because life is just a series of weeks that you're alive and then you're dead. And mm-hmm. I think a deep reason why I love creating music is it's a way to sort of cheat death. I think there's a small part of me that feels like, oh, I'm immortalizing myself mm-hmm. by making something that will outlast me. What's weird about that though is that I'm imprinting if, my soul onto the yeah, physical universe. There's definitely that. I, I get that too. But then Maybe again, it's like you if that was the case, <clears throat> you would make one album and be like, cool, next. 
I'm done. Well, I want you want everything that you've ever thought and are still yeah, thinking guess, yeah. to be sort of out. I don't know. It's a weird. It just never ends, you know. I guess it's like Genghis Khan and his um, having. Didn't he have like thousands of kids? Oh, because he wanted. To he had this populate. whole idea, like, yeah, I want to. I want me more of me everywhere. Yeah, and there's some part of being an artist. Like, I feel like I exist when I make a song. Yeah. So the more songs I make, the more I the more I feel like I exist. And I'm not Ooh. isolated. Here's a question. There's more of me out. Do you feel that way when before you show it to someone? If it's just something that you've made and it's just for you, so like maybe you'll show it, maybe you'll release the song or whatever, but I'm sure there's stuff that you've just never released, but you've spent time on. Mm -hmm. Is it still the same thing where it's like, here I am, even though nobody else hears it? I've thought about this a lot, and it, there's stuff in my book about it too, but I think there's a most healthy balanced way to look at it and that is it's it's half for you and it's half mm -hmm. to connect cool and when it becomes let's say it's all about you then that's basically narcissism mm -hmm. like, i don't care what anybody thinks i just do this for myself and like it don't like it i don't care but even that's that like, still has some value in it if you're if you're pouring yourself into it and you feel fulfilled when you're doing it there's I mean, some value but i think it's a it's, it's only a, half it's a hint into the the lack of health in that person mentally mm -hmm. if all they care about is themselves they right. don't care if people like it or don't i feel like the ultimate version of art is that it was awesome and therapeutic and cathartic in some way for the artist mm -hmm. and that at least one person connects to it mm -hmm. or you connect to yourself through it and that's still valuable but i feel like the ultimate is when it's both Right. Like you make something and it's epic and then it, and somebody else hears it and goes like, oh, that is the song I needed to hear. Or that totally yeah. resonates with me. I feel like that yeah. completes the circle. Right, Expression yeah. connection circle. Yeah. That's cool. I've never heard of that either. Like the half and half. Because that, that says that that still puts into context how important it is to have the process. Like it's half, yeah. it's half as important. And I believe you shouldn't think about the connection half while making the thing. Because mm -hmm. it poisons it. Yeah. Is somebody yeah. going to think this is cool? or is Then you change what you did and mm -hmm. it's a whole mess. Yeah. But so that brings me to you, man. So you're... Uh-oh. I don't want to talk about myself. I'm here <laughs> to talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> you've been you've been sort of working on some solo Corey music. It's been a while. Yeah, I have. Honestly, it's been listening to, I was telling you, I've been listening to the Beatles constantly for the last month. Straight. Oh, it's inspired a new... Totally. And this kind of flies in the face of our old, our last point, but talking about technique, I've been trying to learn some different techniques, some different guitar playing techniques, mm -hmm. some, some finger style stuff that the Beatles used a lot on like White Album and, and stuff like that. And Give us an example. For me, I instantly, right when I learned it, Luckily, my brain works like this. I instantly start start writing. Oh, I want that makes me want to do this, and then that turned into like three or four different songs. Oh, that's awesome. So what I so this is called Travis picking, right? Is this the thing you're doing? Can y'all hear that? Can you guys hear that? Oh yes. Yeah. So it's 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 the idea of like um, your thumb is doing the bass notes, and then your other fingers are doing filling in the gaps, kind of in between. So that's um, Julia. It's a Beatles song. So it's just that thing going out through, through the whole thing and then so it's c to a minor to e minor seven i guess that's not even right 
that whole thing, that back and forth thing. And it's so classic, just, it's like a folk staple. Yeah, yeah. But there's something when you play that and you sing over it, it's almost like there's a little miniature band behind you because you have a bass player. Yeah, right. And then you also have somebody filling in the holes, like like another. I just saw a Mark player. Knopfler video where he was explaining that exact thing. Send me that video. Okay. It does something to you as a songwriter, and and um. It's like a little motor going. Yeah, yeah. So you have like a rhythm and a bass, and you have the treble notes and stuff. And um, it's the exact same thing that we were talking about. The that guy Donovan from the seventies. He he apparently he taught John Lennon and, and Paul McCartney how to do that. Oh. And um, uh, he said the same thing. He's like, right after they learned it, then you get Blackbird. You get uh, uh, um, Happiness is a Warm Gun has it. Like there's just it, from that time period when they wrote all those yeah. songs. That's right when they learned that picking pattern. <laughs> so you hear it in all these songs, and um, it's pretty cool. It's like a little template so cool. that you can. Are we gonna get sued for this? Yeah, we are. So it, all that stuff, right after they learn how to do it, then they just took it and made something out of it, and then just started writing songs. What's interesting, and that connects right to it, is like there's. I remember two distinct moments where one a, a friend, this guy uh, Matt Ellingson showed me these voicings. Oh my gosh, my finger. But these like... The thirds, yeah. I love those. Mm -hmm. And once I learned those, I was like, oh, I'm writing a million songs with yeah. that. Yeah, and that's you start, in a lot of your songs. And then I found the minor versions, which is... Yep. And you're off the races. And I was like, oh, that speaks to me. But... Yeah, and that's just a technique. So it's a technique that you could like. Oh, that's a foundation I can lay a bunch of crap on. And then yeah. the other one was the idea of playing basic voicings, but doing internal melodies using the oh, B, yeah. the B string, just like. Sure, you're still playing the same chord though. Yeah. Ah, big bandaid on my finger. I speaking of making stuff, I have this industrial <laughs> um, sander. Is that what I had this like tiny piece of wood that I was pushing against it real hard, and I slipped and just basically went and like poked the sander. And and what what does your friend call? I took you? a every good time. Get some gloves, put them on your hands. I know you can't feel all this stuff as well. I know it, but you do it. Oh, you took the nail off. Yeah, I took put a that good... in front of the camera so we can get an X rating on this video. Maybe I'll I'll put a still image Dude, in of hold it. On. Oh, you and took a see, nail right that off. Too. Both fingers went, <laughs> and it just like, just freaking. The, the other one's not bad, it's just the nail. Ah, dude, that might. This one hurt. That might grow back kind of funky. <laughs> yeah, this looks like it. I'm slight, I'm maimed, like a tiny maiming. Aww. When you said that, you had a sad eye. Yeah, I'm maimed. <laughs> I've been maimed. <laughs> yeah. some gloves. You should make gloves. This would be your next project. So then you can make something with the Out gloves Out of wood. On. Make wooden gloves. Wooden gloves. It'll work. It'll be great. <laughs> like a robot. <laughs> like chain mail gloves or something. <clears throat> nah. It's happened before. I didn't... Just got the fingernail before. You're not going to ever protect your fingers. One day nope. you're going to be like, zoom, there goes a the finger. Dude, and I'm always grinding stuff and not wearing... I have this like one micron, you know, mask. mask and I'm like, eh, just grinding a little thing. And then I realized... I grinded a lot of things today and oh, man. Breathed, I breathed in iron and yeah. brass and weird exotic woods. I've breathed in a lot of 
asbestos and insulation in my Eek. life just from working like construction jobs. And I always think like, is that how I'm going to die? Mesothelioma. Is that going to be the thing that gets me? Black just, mold. Ugh. What yeah. is it called? Uh, not osteochondritis discans. That was the disorder. What? Say that again. <laughs> osteochondritis discans. I had that in my knee. Did you <laughs> just make me. that up? It's a real thing. It's when uh, it was like right in my knee joint, it wasn't getting enough circulation. Ooh. And I had, to, I had to wear like a, a brace for, I felt like it was two or three months, but I think it might have been six weeks. When was this? I was a little dude. Oh, I was going to say, it's not it made me quit gymnastics. It's quite the gymnast. Oh, you could have been a star gymnast. Dude, I could have been somebody. I bet you could have done something with your life, man. But anyway, it wasn't that. I also had Osgood Slaughter. Wait, That's what? That's another knee issue. <laughs> the craziest Osgood Slaughter. Name. See this bump on my knee? Yeah, it's that's when the nerve bump. grows over that a little bit, and then cartilage grows over the nerve. Oh, so right here used to be like really like sensitive. That's Osgood slaughter yeah, you can plus see it. osteochondritis discans. But what I was trying to think of, oh, I've got a bone spur. See that thing? Oh, that's just bone growing back weird, and it but it still hurts. If I if I tap this, ooh, it's like a funny bone times ten. It just shoots electricity. Well, that's a my... cyst, dude. I'm supposed to crush that for dude, you, dude. Okay, hit it real hard with a hammer. Just put it on the table, and I will smash it. Can you? Well, here's the thing. I've asked a doctor, like, how do you, what do you do for that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I have to have surgery. And I'm what? Like, well, what do they do? They go, oh, they just grind the bone down. So they just take a sander, like a belt sander, and just, <laughs> so we could probably do it at your shop. I could, yeah, you could do it at the shop, Just dude. get the skin out of the way first. We'll just, just get it real, that right off. put some ice on it, you won't feel it. And just grrr, right into the grinder. Dude, elbow skin is a, stuff's crazy. You can You can pinch your elbow as hard as you want, and it doesn't hurt. That's right. It also, it's really flexy and extra. Yeah, that's a special zone of the body. My friend Tony, bass player in my band, Bulkhead. Tony from Tony Teruso from Suetones. He, we were all messing around with our elbow skin and going like, dude, it doesn't even hurt. And I'm like, take the safety pin and push it through your elbow skin. <laughs> and he did it. It just went. Really? Poof, pierced like, his elbow. Pierced his elbow and it didn't did, hurt. Did he put a little ring in there, a little stud? Should have. I don't think that would catch on. It does not look cool. <laughs> There's nothing cool about an elbow. <laughs> That's true. You don't want to pull focus to the elbow. No. What the heck were we talking about before? There's a word I was trying to think of. Osteoporosis? Do <laughs> <laughs> you have any more ailments you want to talk about? Yeah. Like long names? Uh, parotid gland. Carotid tumor. artery. I like that one. Carotid. I don't even know what that means. It's Good just, name for a rock band. Carotid artery. Sounds tough. What's the name of that band? Is it Dying Fetus or... There's one called, yeah. Is that what they're called? It's a heavy metal band? Something about a fetus. Yeah. Not dying. Is it just dead fetus? Might be. What, oh, a, what a band. Anyway, so you're working on, are oh. you going to do an EP? What's the deal? I don't know. I have no idea. I just want to be busy. That's all. And if. That's it? That's a low bar. I know, that doesn't sound very... I'll make you busy, man. My car's dirty. I don't want to dig a trench being busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, busy. No, there's, it's a muscle, right? Don't you think your creative muscle needs to be exercised? If you, if you want it to get stronger or if you want to keep it, I think you can atrophy that stuff. Oh, yeah. Atrophy. Uh, it's a little bit like way. riding a bike. Yeah, like you're not going to forget Some how to do it. it. But your vocabulary, I think... If you if you want to write stuff like what, let's say you're writing a novel or writing a book or yeah. a song whatever, you I feel like you want to you want to 
load up on as much of the best kind of inspiration that you can and you and you want to work at it. Mm. That doesn't make sense. You want to um, continually and put your energy into it. If you don't, you can't just expect to not put the work in and just pick up an instrument one day and just be like, oh, here's something magical. I mean, it could <laughs> happen, but yeah. the odds are a lot lower. So I always feel like I got to do something, whether I'm learning how to work yeah. this recording program or whether I'm figuring something out, I have to do something. And what's better than, you know, writing songs in your room by yourself? Even if no one hears it, to me, it's like, this is, I, I know this is a great song to, to me, but I might never show it to anybody. I don't know. I got to find the right, the right outlet, the right way to do it. But, but it was really, it's been really inspiring digging into a band like the Beatles, one of the, probably the best band of all time. Probably the first band I ever heard too, because when I was a kid, I had my mom's records. And it, did you have those little Fisher Price record players when you were a kid? Yellow submarine. Plastic. Or oh, no, really? I think that was the one I Yeah, there was a Beatles song that I had too on that same plastic yeah. record player. Yeah. Fisher Price thing. And I think that was probably the first like band I ever really heard. No, it was, it was um Octopus's Garden was the one oh, that yeah. I heard. It's like a kid's song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's also interesting. There's Beatles have a ton of songs that are like children's songs. Well, Yellow Submarine. They're usually the Ringo sure. songs, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, and you know what's cool about Those that? Those are the ones that are most fun. There's a couple songs. Um uh that Ringo wrote, but he said, like, Ringo's the coolest. If you watch him in interviews, he's so funny. He's just so nonchalant. And he was such a, he was a fan of those guys before he was in the band. Okay. You know, he was like, I just love the front line, George, Paul, and, <laughs> and, yeah, and, um, and John, you know, he's like, he's of so course. deadpan. Yeah. But he, he said, like, the, somebody was asking him, like, oh, so did you clap? Because everything is like Lennon McCartney. It's all, you know, they credited those two guys for everything, no matter yeah. if one had more of it or whatever. They had a little agreement. And they, and they were asking Ringo, like, so did you, the songs that you sang, you know, that some of them are still just Lennon McCartney. And did you help write those songs? And he, he just goes, no, they just told me, he'll sing this. So they just would like hand him songs, be like, you're singing this one, Ringo. It's so <laughs> rad. And I'm sure there was something in those songs that thought it would be cool and like quirky if he did it because he has a kind of a quirky voice or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But he he sings a lot of the children-y kind of songs for sure, and it was part of the marketing too, right? Because they were it was the Fab Four. So early in the career, right. there was like you're that guy and you're that guy. Yeah, you're the brooding dude. You're the baby face. You're the this. They're the that. And you watch. And he was I just, the absurdist humor guy. Yeah, they were all super funny, but he was probably the silliest. Yeah, but I was watching them uh, Beatles at Buda, Budokan or whatever. Like back in the day, it was like the early records, and the the first song. They come out, and it's probably I Want to Hold Your Hand or something, and, and or one of those songs, and John's and John singing. And the next song, pa Paul, they, they introduce, here's Paul, he's going to sing this next song called whatever, and then Paul sings the song, and then the third song, George sings. And they're like, we'd like to play this song for you, and George is going to, and then they kind of like give a little love to each guy, and then mm -hmm. it's Ringo's song, and they're like, Ringo's going to sing, ah, and then all the Ringo girls, and then at the end of it, John's like, thanks, Ringo. <laughs> they were just like these four characters, and they were all different. What Just a crazy the best time of all in music. Time. Yeah, man. Anyways. You know what's funny is I've never been... Well, let me be careful how I say this. Why do I have to be careful? Don't be but careful. But just, I've, I've never been a huge Beatles fan, but I'll do a quick but, is that... Big but. There are a handful of Beatles songs that I think are amazing, and I super love them, but I've never... It's My connection to the Beatles has never been like, oh, that's my thing. Even though I know they're one of the greatest bands ever, and mm -hmm. my fables, my favorite Beatles, Beatles songs tend to be the ones that are, I guess, 
unlike most of their songs, I guess, in some sense. Which is hard because they're all so different. They are. And everybody talks about, like, everyone expected the Beatles' next record to be, like, oh, the last one. And even um, the White Album, especially, because it was after Sgt. Pepper. And everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh, con- they're going to do another concept, re- concept record with all these orchestras and, and they just went in there and just jammed and it was just like the band just playing right that's why i love those records so much because a lot of them are just recorded live and that's why they have different takes you know here's take nine and they didn't they didn't use this take or whatever especially it's early on a little right? slot, it's a little messy sometimes but you hear like a band playing and you hear how good each one of them is you yeah know? i think i like the beatles songs that go towards classical and blues but the oh, okay. ones that go towards jazz and and almost like a classic Rock and roll kind of stuff that's cool. It's more that area of, <clears throat> for example, the way the harmonic feeling of A Long and Winding Road. I know that's a great song, mm. but that it's almost like a Burt Bacharach, yeah. real classic, like Hammerstein and whatever the other guy's name was, type of s- classic songwriting with lots of seven chords and chord key changes that have a certain jazzy feeling to it. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I just don't connect to that as much as I do. A song like Don't Let Me Down or Come Together or Strawberry Fields, which feels very kind of angular and orchestral in the way yeah. it's changing keys. Oh, for sure. So you might be more of a John Lennon guy then. I guess so. He always had like the quirkier changes. and. But I almost wonder if, since you don't know who wrote what with the whole Lennon-McCartney thing, yeah. I wonder if there's McCartney changes with Lennon rawness. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Well, they but, would finish each other's songs. So it was like, you got true. both. You don't really know where it's coming yeah. from. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm the opposite, dude. Like, I can just listen to that all, the, all day. I can listen really? to the Beatles all day long, for sure. I like the Beatles as filtered through Chris Cornell and um, Alan Johannes. Oh, so like, the in, yeah, for It's sure. like dark, psychedelic Beatles. But you hear the Beatles in there. Yeah. But yeah, then the Euphoria Morning raw, is like that. You, you hear the whole... It's the Beatles filtered through nihilism and depression yeah yeah because they were kind of happy yeah they were about love i mean john was a little he was a little dark yeah which was cool but definitely like i mean i I always gravitated towards paul a little more like paul's songs for some reason i don't know why um there's something when i hear his voice and it reminds me of even like hearing when i was a kid like it's just the most soothing voice that's velvety man and his personality comes out when he sings and he's just like very jovial and like light about everything and everything's kind of happy. So interesting that that combination of people. Mm-hmm. That I was thinking of it like take a couple a couple things. Take away the Beatles. Take away. Let's just do two. Take away the Beatles. Take away Steve Jobs. What world are we living in? <laughs> How no much apples, less apples? Yeah, that's true. Apple records and Apple yeah. computers. Yeah, see what I did there? Ooh, an apple a day. <laughs> Some connection we had no here. No apples, man. We would be screwed. Let's call this the Apple Podcast. It's good luck. <laughs> yeah. But think about it. So, personal computing, iPhone, all the stuff that Steve Jobs was responsible for, um, at least playing a huge role in making mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. And then the Beatles influencing so many bands and. and the fabric of pop music. Mm-hmm. Imagine what what would what what wouldn't be here? It's impossible to imagine. But it, it, you think those two, or let's say five human beings, or if you just say Lennon, McCartney, right. whatever, 
just a handful of people that have like made a significant difference in culture and Such technology. Well, especially the Beatles. I mean, they they say, um, dude, I got to read this quote from Rolling Stone. It was something like, "Take make a list of the most successful, prolific songwriters of all time. Make a make a list like all time could be anybody. Mm-hmm. And now filter that list to those same artists." That, that you just made a list of that are still around, still making great songs. And there's one name, and it's Paul McCartney. <laughs> That's so it. weird. Yeah, and he's, they say he's the most successful songwriter of all time. I think he has like Whoa. 70 sing- hits, number one singles or something. It's crazy, <laughs> 60 or 70. And he's the most humble guy too. Yeah. See, pure. Hum- when I pie. see that guy as an artist or just as a human, it's just, there's it's just purity. Like that is a goal because it just seems like he, you know, he's had like yesterday he woke up not yes, the song yesterday. Yesterday had it in a dream. Woke up, and there was another song too. I can't remember what song it is. He woke up, yeah, had scrambled it. eggs. Yeah, scrambled eggs. Um, something just so pure about that, and those kind of people like you know what's interesting about him. People. Sorry, did I interrupt? No, that's it. Just pure. I just he that is just purity. It's just creative purity. It's so interesting too, and maybe that's part of why my connection with the Beatles is somewhat at a distance, but. His purity comes from, I think, and maybe this is too presumptuous, but it's a lot from imagination and talent. Mm-hmm. And then, as opposed to, as opposed to music as a as a a much needed therapeutic release. Mm. Like you can hear more angst in John Lennon, or you can right, yeah. There's more in you know. For that example, Soundgarden, or you look at Nirvana, mm-hmm. tends to be heavier, darker music. But mm-hmm. it's it's the imagination is, in, is involved. But they're actually looking to get something out that has to come out, and it's much more a cathartic experience. Where I feel like somebody like Mac- Paul McCartney, you sent you in general, he seems like his disposition is more happy, positive, mm-hmm. all about love, and and he's just a brilliant guy, and mm-hmm. he writes these great songs and. It's almost more of a classical composer, um, I guess, personality and talent set as opposed to a singer-songwriter, even though he's the ultimate singer-songwriter. Yeah, he was also kind of the leader. Like, they, they, they talked about he was the driving force. Like, they would just be like, oh, we're not... He was ambitious. Yeah, like, hey, you get him on the phone. Like, we should go in the studio today. Like, I, let's do this. And yeah. Be like, okay. He was the one that was... Yeah, he had all that stuff, too, but... I don't know. I see what you're saying, but it, that's part of the purity, though. It's like it's not tempered by negative emotions necessarily. It's just mm. he opens his mouth and it comes out. Let it be. He had it in, in a dream. He, that came to him in a dream because his mother Mary. He's talking about his mom, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, what's funny about that is John Lennon didn't apparently. I don't know if this is true or not because everybody likes to do the controversial, stir up the the pot. Mm. Um. John Lennon didn't like that song because he said there was too much like religious connotation because Mother Mary. Oh, right. You know, but even though it was just about his mom. And then on the record, if you listen to the song before it leading into that, you hear John make a little snide comment. He says something about, and now we'd like to uh, hark the herald angels or something. And then they start playing Let It Be. And that was like him just being a little smart, you know, snarky guy in the back. Yeah. No religious songs around. Anyways, the point is that kind of person where. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure he works hard at it, but it just seems like that's the kind of person that just opens his mouth and just blup, magic comes out. 
You know, even the earlier songs, they're just are all great. Every song is just catchy and, that's his, and amazing. He has this very buoyant, positive spirit. Right. And I think... Is that better for being creative? Well, it's better for living long, obviously, because two of the Beatles are dead. <laughs> right. The two that were a little bit more... Um, yeah, darker, edgier. Darker, darker edgier, and introverted, maybe. Um, yeah, but I also true. think that lyrically... Maybe not as intense. Paul's stuff, not as in-depth. Yeah. And when he would get a musical idea, often like he, it would be scrambled eggs or mm-hmm. a dream. And then maybe mm-hmm. maybe John Lennon was more adding the, mm-hmm. the, the I don't know, the tension that was in the, the tension, lyrics yeah. and the meaning more so. And I think Paul maybe was just musically yeah. more so. John also... More driven by music. I think John also had way more nonsense lyrics. You know, <clears throat> I was looking into that too. There's a lot of songs that just... Don't don't mean anything like like, like on purpose abs- abstract painting style right yeah but like did they say that I am the walrus he did on purpose yeah those lyrics mean nothing because because pe- at the time people were analyzing same with Glass Onion yeah he's like, uh, and he's he like sarcastic goofing. he's just like making his, and he, he just throwing it out there to mess with people like he, they knew everyone was going to analyze every line that they wrote same with Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds yeah. People thought that was an on purpose LSD Lucy in the yeah. Sky with Diamonds which it does seem like it is but they claim no <laughs> right. I guess, yeah. But I guess who knows what they claim? Yeah, who knows? But they they do they did admit there's just a lot of nonsense lyrics, and they they would just do that to mess with people. But I almost wonder if even at nonsense lyrics, if are coming from somewhere usually, right? Though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. If there is some reason why it's appealing, it's maybe it is subconscious. But even that though, even if nonsense meaning like it doesn't tell a story in a classic way, like here's the beginning, middle, and end, and Right. It's telling you... Or it's about something. Yeah, something specific. But there's still... You know, that happened a lot in the 90s, I think. You know, um, a lot of, lot of rock bands did that. And you, it was like, I love well, that because it's not always oh, one story. It's like, you can take a line out of a song and like, oh, that line from that Nirvana song, like really such a cool line. It might not be what the song's about, but you can still hit people with like one line that's really strong. And I think when you it's are... Powerful. You don't necessarily need need to know what you're writing about when you're writing a song, and if you, mm. but if you have some, just that I call it like the pregnant feeling, like <laughs> something's got to come out. I don't even know what I'm writing about yet, and you let, let symbolic, metaphoric, seemingly abstract, meaningless lyrics come out. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, <clears throat> in hindsight, that stuff can you're like, oh. That actually does mean something, or yeah, there was some underlying subconscious, like you said, thing. Like you're right, it Chris Cornell of... is really great at that. Oh yeah, like Black Hole Sun. Like, does he know what it's about? I've, I feel like I've heard interviews where he's like, I, I don't, don't think yeah. I was just writing stuff down, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, that's huge. I Double think that's negative. I think songwriters should. Um, that's a good lesson for anybody that's writing <clears throat> because if, if you sit down, you're like, oh, this has to make sense. It has to be a story. You know, like a classic pop song, it has to have one meaning throughout the whole thing, and I have to sum it all up in the bridge or whatever it is. I think, I think it can shut good. down your right hemisphere. Yeah, it's, like, it's okay to just write something that you don't think means a specific uh, package of a story or something. It's okay to just write, maybe it's nonsense, but maybe you figure out what it is later. Or maybe it's a line that just kind of comes out when you sing over these chord changes. And then you figure out what it means later, and you may have to tweak something. But there's something really cool about that. It's freeing because you don't get, you won't get stuck. 
You know, you're just sitting there writing lyrics like you're writing a, a le- an essay or something. It doesn't have to be like that. And know? there's language is so deep. Like mm. the way we we connect words to things and feelings can be mm. based on the definition of the word, based on the context of the word, based on your own history with the word, based on the sound of the word. Based I think on of the, the chord underneath the word that if it's a song, right? And how they interact. That can, yeah, that can change the meaning of something. And I think of because uh, I've used "Smells Like Teen Spirit" as sort of a teaching tool before, because yeah. it's such a contrast, well-written song, yeah, in so many ways. But we look at a mosquito. A, what is it? A mulatto, an albino, oh, yeah. a mosquito, my libido. Yeah. When you look at that, you're just kind of like, oh, well, there's four things that are just weird that sound good together. But they, <laughs> it's more than that, because you, when you really take a look at it and try to find logical connections, I never have. Um, like a mulatto, an albino, I don't forget what order they come in, but you think of, well, that's a a combination. It's like a derogatory term for a combination yeah. of like black and white race yeah, yeah. mix. Then you have an albino, which is like, the, like ultra white. white. And then you have this tiny thing, a mosquito, and then he puts it all with my libido. So you're like, ooh, there's some sort of feeling like he has this tiny insect, yeah. like fragile little thing. And a mosquito is like a, I don't know, there's all these like little weird connections you can draw. Paints, it paints a picture for paints sure. Paints a picture of like opposites. Mm-hmm. And then he sets you up with, here's a little tiny thing and then my libido. So like he feels impotent in the uh, world. Yeah, in that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense in the song for sure. Yeah, because he's like, I'm an outcast, but I'm just like you and I don't care. And um, with the lights out, it's less dangerous. Here we uh, are now, yeah. entertain us. I feel stupid and contagious. Here we are now, entertain us. And then he oh, goes... It gives me the chills just listening to right? those lyrics. So, so he says creepy. all that stuff. It gets super vulnerable and angry in the chorus. But in the verses, he's really detached and watching. Yeah. And hello, 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 hello. He's just sort of like, eh. And the ver- the first verse lyrics are... Um, uh, Full up on guns? Yeah. Yeah, load up on guns, bring your friends. It's easy to... It's easy to whatever and pretend mm-hmm. she's, the, and then she starts talking. He starts kind of like judging some girl and saying a few things about her, and then yeah. the pre-chorus is hello, 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 and then he gets like with the lights out, it's less dangerous. And, so, and then that point, he's yelling into the microphone. Yeah, like, it's and it's the first really time powerful. he brings himself into it. I feel stupid and contagious, like I'm an outcast. Yeah, but we're all outcasts. When you look at the video too, you see like, um, you know, outcast rockers and and crazy cheerleaders, cheerleaders with the lights yeah. out all going nuts and then at the end he's a mosquito my libido and then it's just sort of like ooh yeah that is there's I an impotence really looked at it that in that depth before it's hard to look into things that are that close to your um adolescent childhood uh-huh. time because to me that's that was like whatever uh-huh. your high school or high school and those songs are just like I, it's hard to analyze that kind of stuff because it's so ingrained in me you know what i mean yeah it's almost like um, analyzing yourself, it's harder than it's easy to judge someone else and be like, "Well, that's this person's problem." That's well, their problem is this. It's really hard to see yeah. it on yourself because you, you're in your own body, you know. So you're talking about like seeing the value or what the depth of that song? The like depth of the lyric. I've never even had a thought of it. I just always thought of it as like, oh, cool sounding. I don't know. I'm just used to it, you know. Yeah, and I came to it through like I've always loved that. Well, not always, but it's a really great song that became a huge song that was like the defining the f- thing. fuse that lit a whole 
big moment in in the history of music, mm-hmm. the grunge, whatever. And so I'm like, well, that's a powerful song. So what's going on in there? And it, mm-hmm. as I talk about like my my um, techniques around songwriting with contrast, it's a lesson in contrast. For sure. In an amazing way. In every way. And my theory is the more contrast there is in a song, the more memorable it is, the more powerful it is. And then if there's meaning inside the contrast, lyrically, like you get all these stacking layers of contrast. Right. The song itself contrasted to the music that came before it. So Mm -hmm. even there, there's contrast, cultural contrast. Mm -hmm. You had like Poison and White Lion and Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston. And then all of a sudden Smells Like Teen Spirit. But lyrically, until I started going, I'm gonna use, I'm gonna dissect this song melodically and musically and see where exactly the contrast is. Mm-hmm. Then you look at the so. lyrics, and there's extreme contrast in the lyrics, and there's all this meaning, and it's like, and just the dynamics of the the um, song itself. I mean, instrumentally, just yeah, they invented the quiet loud, yeah, yeah. They invented, but they made it popular. But they nailed it, you know. I mean, that was something Metallica was doing too. That like real beautiful uh, classical guitar stuff and then bam, you know and then come back uh, what song is that I'm blanking right now but you don't really hear that that much any, in yeah. modern music it's like everything's loud in your face all the time we, we're missing that like really extreme and even the Beatles they would do it with um, like uh, time signatures it would change yeah. from like 3-4 to 4-4 to four, four in a second doom doom boom the sea in the sky you know that yeah. whole thing it just but the police I don't know how do you do that? Police did that too. They would always have that reggae verse and then go into a backbeat chorus or something so like with cool. "Message in a Bottle" or "Roxanne." So hard to make Spirits that work. Of the material world. Have you ever tried going that that route specifically in a song? Like just completely shifting gears. Yeah, it's so quite, hard to make quite it. a lot. I love it. Yeah, that's a trick. It's always easier to go back into the thing before I think than. And going into the strange part, you know what I mean? Like it's easier to go back. <laughs> yeah, it depends on how weird. <laughs> yeah, you it's have a couple songs that melodically, like really, you know, really go from dark change. to darker. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dumb and dumber, <laughs> darker and darker. I like it with rhythmic stuff too. Yeah, yeah, you're a master. Lots of little ways to do that. Anyways. What I'm saying is I can't do it. That's what I'm yeah, saying. right. <laughs> Everybody else can do Mr. it. Mr. Humble over here. You and the Beatles can do it, but I can't do it. When's your EP coming out? Uh, May 31st, 2025. Sweet. That sounds like a good time, See right? See you there. That's probably when the studio will be finished in Julian. Perfect. Only seven years to go. Should we wrap it up? And get Let's it? wrap it up. Getting blown up over here. Yeah. All right. We love you. Love you a lot. Good night and good morning.